May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Several weeks ago, one of my uh, children came to me and said, Dad, I, I don't know what to pray for after a while. She said that uh, she does pray every night as she's lying there in bed. She says, I pray for each family member by name, and I thank God for um, the day that I've had, and I ask God to protect us all, but then after that, my mind kind of goes blank, and I don't know what to pray. I was happy that she came to me with that, because learning to pray is part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and growing in prayer is part of what the life of discipleship is all about, whether we're young in the faith or old in the faith. I mean, prayer is essential. What water is on a hot summer day like this is what prayer is to the life of a disciple. It is life. And it is enlivening. And it is refreshing. And... In our gospel reading from Luke 11, a disciple of Jesus comes to him and says, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus had been praying. Jesus, Luke brings this out. Luke, of all the gospel writers, brings this fact out that Jesus was a man of prayer. That he took time to be alone with his father. If that's the case for Jesus, how much more ought it be for us? Jesus was a man of prayer. And the disciple saw Jesus pray. And after he had this time of prayer, the disciple doesn't mention who the disciple was. He comes to Jesus and says, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? As John taught his disciples how to pray. Um, In those days, it wasn't uncommon for a rabbi or religious leader to teach his followers, his disciples, a distinctive form of prayer. And that's what this disciple is asking of Jesus. Give us a way of praying, of connecting to God like you are connected to God. That's distinctive. That marks us off as your disciples. And so we should be eternally grateful for this unnamed disciple because in response to that request, Jesus gives one of the great treasures of the church. That's been recited century after century. The Lord's Prayer. And uh, what we have in Luke is is a smaller version, but the essential elements are all there of the Lord's Prayer that we're used to. And what we're used to comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But what I want to do uh, this morning uh, is to... Encourage us all in our prayer life. If you don't make it a matter of priority in your life to to pray, I hope to encourage you to begin doing that. If you find yourself at at a stage of your life spiritually where you're praying, but, but you're faltering, you're struggling, well, join the club. I'm there with you. But sometimes we need encouragement to grow in prayer and to grow in our faith in the one to whom we pray. And, and that's what I want to give you. Uh, I, I want Jesus to give us. It wouldn't do any good if I give you that. 
I want us to think about what Jesus is saying here about who God is and our relationship to him through prayer. And I want to focus on, there's so many questions when it comes to prayer. And, and we're going to talk about prayer for the next several weeks here at Church of the Resurrection. But uh, there's so many things that, um, and questions that we have about prayer. What about unanswered prayer? What about the things I've prayed for that I don't see? What, what is God doing? Does God always answer? All those questions, we're going to deal with those. We're going to struggle with those, wrestle with those together. But I just want us to focus on one very simple thing here this morning. And that is how God teaches us to think about, how Christ teaches us how to think about God in prayer. With this one word, Father. We're just going to take time to reflect on the significance of that for prayer. When you pray, Jesus says, say, Father. Or, Matthew's version, our Father. To call God Father in prayer says something, of course, about us, that we are his children. And Jesus wants us to come to God in prayer as a child coming to a good father who delights to give his children good gifts. When you pray, say, Father, that means that we're children. And to be a child of God is to be in a privileged group. You know, sometimes we'll hear people say, we are all God's children. We're all God's children. And that's true in a sense. No matter where we're from, no matter our social standing, no matter our race, no matter our political persuasions, we are all God's children in the sense that we're all created in the image and likeness of God. Genesis teaches that all men and women are created in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, all people, we need to hear this today, are entitled to dignity and respect, even if they're different from us and believe different things. We're all God's children in the sense that God is our creator. But there's another sense, and a more important sense, that the scripture talks about when it uses this phrase, children of God. And this is the New Testament sense. And that is, children of God are those who are privileged. By the grace of God, to come into the family of God, to know God as not just their creator, but their savior. And not just their savior, but their father who loves them. And how do we get there? We get there through Jesus the Son. We get there through the mediator that God has sent into the world. The Gospel of John says this in John chapter 1, talking about God sending His Son, the Word, the Eternal Word, the Logos, who came into the world and became flesh, full of grace and truth. John says in John 1 um, that He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. There were those who saw the Word incarnate, but they rejected Him. But to those who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, the name stands for the person, those who did receive Christ, those who did believe in Christ, He, that is God, gave them the right to be called, what? Children of God. The right, the power, the privilege. Not everybody has that. Everybody can. Whoever believes, whoever receives, whoever sees Christ and says, 
I'm in need of what Christ can give me. I'm in need of the forgiveness of my sin. I'm in need of finding out the true meaning and purpose of life. I'm in need of the hope of eternal life as I face the end of life or as I go through dread disease. I need what Jesus can... Whoever looks to Him in complete faith and trust is a child of God who received Him. God gives them the right to be called the children of God. And this is a great privilege. And it's a great privilege then to be able to go to this God in prayer and call Him Father. I was watching last week the, um, the All-Star Game and the kind of the hoopla surrounding the All-Star Game, which took place in Los Angeles. And so I don't know if you saw this, but one of the things that happened is that, uh, of course, it's L.A. So they rolled out the red carpet for these stars. And these baseball stars were dressed up in their, um, in their suits and a lot of them came in with their wives or with their girlfriends on the red carpet. And there, on the other side of the red carpet, were these barriers where the fans were, the adoring fans. They had no access, really, to these players, and they could not get on the red carpet themselves. But then there was Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, who was kind of a big deal at the All-Star this year, because he's retiring this year. The great Albert Pujols was there. And he was walking down the red carpet, too. But he had with him his children. I think he had six children with him, walking with him on the red carpet. And they were interviewing him and they were talking to him about his career. But then he mentioned his children. He introduced each one of his children by name. Now, why were they able to have access? Why were they on that red carpet? Why were they in that privileged place? Why were they able to be near him? Because he wanted them there. Because he was their father. That the fans couldn't have access to that privileged place. But because of who their father was, these children, they weren't the stars. They were there because of who their father was. And he wanted them to be with him. And that's how it is with God, with our father. He wants us to be with him in a place of great privilege. The highest place of great privilege, that is his very presence. And so he's made a way out of love. For us to be with him through the cross of his son. And so here's the point. When we pray, we're living into this privilege that God has given us through his son. Aren't you thankful for that privilege? When we neglect prayer, we're living below the privilege that God has given us through his son as his sons and daughters. We're messing out. On the good gifts that he wants to give us. And so part of saying to God in prayer as father is to recognize I'm coming from a privileged place. But it's also to recognize I'm coming from a humble and dependent place as a child. Right? A little child is completely dependent upon his or her parents. And Jesus often referred to his disciples as... Children, little children. And, and this is what Jesus is teaching us to be like in prayer. To come to God, our Father, and say, God, I'm in need. I'm your child. I'm hurting. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. In this situation, I 
need what only you can give me. I'm humble. I'm dependent upon on you. Do you come to God in prayer like that? Just coming as you are. Paul Miller, who's one of my favorite writers on prayer, he says, you know, Jesus, in teaching us to call God Father, is inviting us like a child just to come him, to him as we are, without pretense, without fixing ourselves up. That's how little children come. They come just as they are, Paul Miller says, running noses in all. And they just say what's on their mind. There's a place for us to, to pray with reverent language and careful language. We're part of a tradition that appreciates that. We have this book of common prayer. And, and it's a great treasure to be able to pray some of these prayers that we could... I mean, the prayer that we prayed this morning was a beautiful prayer that I would not have thought of that one myself. And we have this prayer book that binds us together when we come together in prayer. And there are times when we're so distraught maybe with what's going on and overwhelmed that we don't really have the energy or the words to say in prayer. And we can turn to the, the scripture, we can turn to the Psalms and use the Psalms as a, as a prayer. We can turn to our prayer book and use those to lift up our hearts to God. But then there are times, and this needs to be part of our prayer life, where we come just as we are. And we tell God exactly what's on our heart. And we say, God, I need you in this situation. Is there something in your life today that is making you feel helpless? Oh, where you look at it, you say, hey, Lord, I don't have the resources. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge here. I don't have the energy. It, it, truth be known, Lord, I don't have a whole lot of faith right now. But I'm coming to you as a child. And Jesus says, that's exactly where I want you to be as a disciple. Going to your Father like that. Lay it all before the Lord. That's your privilege as a child of God. To call God Father reminds us who we are, but of course primarily it points us to who He is. What kind of God are we praying to when we pray? We're praying to a very personal God. Jesus is using the language of the family here. And you may know that Jesus' uh, native tongue, his mother tongue, that the, the language that he grew up in, speaking in his home, was Aramaic. And um, so in Greek, the word for father here is pater. You know, we talk about the pater familius. Uh, paternalistic. So the Greek word is, is pater, but Jesus grew up calling God Abba, Father, the Aramaic. And we have one place in the gospel where we see him using that language. In Mark, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Abba, Father, take this cup from me, the suffering that he's about to face at the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Interesting prayer. We could use that as a, as a basis for thinking about how God responds and answers prayer. Because here Jesus is praying for something. He didn't get the cup he had to drink, but he submitted himself to the will of God. But he said, Abba, Father. 
And, and so that was what little children called their father at home, a family term. Now, maybe you've heard preachers say in the past, and I probably said this in the past, that Abba means daddy. And I've learned as I've studied this week that that's probably not exactly true. Um, because when people make that claim, they're saying that this is kind of the, the language of a, of a, of a young child, uh, speaking in an almost childish way to God. And what scholars have shown now is that uh, old Older parent, older children, adult children would call their father Abba as well. So it's not just a childish term, um, but it is a family term. And probably the nearest equivalent in English I read is something like dearest father or dearest dad. So it's not like childish babble, but it is a term of intimacy. It's a term that comes from the, the family. And the significant thing is that Scholars who've looked at Jewish literature before and after Jesus say that they've not seen one time where this term, Abba, was used to address God. That this is something distinctive that Jesus brings out. Out of his relationship with God like this, he's Abba, Father. He tells his disciples, you can have this relationship too, this intimacy so that's the kind of God we're coming to as we come to him in prayer. Abba, Father. The Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit does a work in the heart of the Christian. Or we can also call God Abba, Father. Do you enjoy that kind of intimacy with God in prayer? Abba, Father. That kind of trust. That kind of knowing that he cares for you. And that you can come to Him with anything that's on your heart. And you walk away from that time of encountering with God. Knowing that I've encountered my Father who loves me. That's what God has for us through Christ. It's amazing to think about that Jesus is teaching His disciples to come to God that way. And to think of God that way. That level of intimacy. This is the one who creates and sustains the universe. This is God Almighty. This is, this is the same God who, as we read in Genesis today, who's the judge of all the earth. This is the same God who uh, we are to reverence and hallow his name. That's the first petition, petition. Hallowed be thy name. This is the same God who is, yes, father, but he's also king. Thy kingdom come. But Jesus puts these things together. We are to have a holy reverence and fear for God, and yet he is Abba. Father, we're invited into that. It's extraordinary. I don't know if you've been seeing these images coming from the new telescope that NASA has. <laughs> it's incredible. This was called the James Webb Telescope. Have you been reading about this? Seeing this on the news? And we're learning more through these images about the vastness of the universe. How incredible it really is and how little we really know of it. And, uh, and with this telescope, we're able to see uh, the formation of galaxies from billions of years ago. And then I read a headline that says there's probably ten times more galaxies in our Milky Way now than we thought. 
I mean, the universe is vastly bigger than what we've ever understood. And this telescope is telling us about it. And for the theist, for the person who believes in God, we say, what's behind all that? Who is behind this great universe, this vast expanse, this incredible reality? And the answer is God. God is behind it. God's the creator and sustainer of it. But for the Christian, we can also say, and this God is my Father. This Abba, this, this God is my Abba Father. He's worthy of reverence and holy fear, but he's also our Father. There are some people who have a difficult time calling God Father. There are some people who have a difficult, if not impossible time, thinking of God as their Father. Because their Father, their earthly Father, has disappointed them profoundly or hurt them. Jesus makes the point in this story after the Lord's Prayer, that God the Father is not like that. Your Heavenly Father is a good Father who delights to give His children good gifts. He's not like that grouchy neighbor in the story who's not going to get out of bed when the neighbor comes knocking and say, Hey, I've got friends coming over. I don't have enough to feed them. Would you please help me here? And the grouchy neighbor says, No, I'm sleeping. I'm settled in. I've tucked the kids in for, night, for the night. I don't want to get up and help you. And then... Jesus says, well, if you keep on knocking and bothering, he's going to get up. And, and Jesus' point is not that God the Father is like that, but if you who are evil, <laughs> if you who are sinful and self-centered know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? So Jesus makes a contrast, doesn't he, between human fathers and heavenly fathers. For those who've had a father who failed them, for those who had a father who hurt them, Jesus is saying, your heavenly father is not like that. You will not always understand what your heavenly father is up to. But if you believe Jesus, you can believe that your heavenly father is good. Can you look back on your life and see the goodness of your heavenly father in giving you what you need? Can you look back on your life and see Abba Father providing for you in ways that sustained you and strengthened you? How he has answered prayer. Remember the one who's teaching us about this good father who is telling you that God is your Abba Father as you pray. He's the one who went to the cross for you. He's the one who revealed to you at the cross the goodness of God. To demonstrate the love of God for you and for me. The crown of thorns. The stripes he took. The nails he took. All of that is saying to you, this is how much God loves you and cares for you. And you can go to this God in complete trust and faith in his goodness as you pray. To say Father reveals the heart of God. It reveals who we are as His children. 
And then Jesus at the end of this teaching, and I'll end with this. I want you to notice something here. It's very interesting to me. The way he ends this section of teaching. He says at verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? What does he say? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. I mean, this is the first time the Holy Spirit's been brought up here. And um, I think what this means is that what Jesus knows that we need the most, and we'll talk about asking God for everyday things. That's so important. But what we need the most is the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, the divine presence of God in our life, the love of God in our hearts. It's through the Holy Spirit that God's love is poured into our hearts. And it's through prayer, through this kind of prayer that Jesus is teaching about here, this persistent prayer, this shameless prayer, this coming to God again and again in humility and faith like Abraham did in that story. That it's by engaging with God at that level that we are filled and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the divine presence. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's the gift that we ultimately need. And that's the gift that we ultimately give as we engage with God in prayer. His very presence. That begins to influence all of our life. Not just the time that we've had with the Father alone. But everything. His presence with us. We become sensitized to the presence of the Holy Spirit. God with us. Um, I'll close with this, this story from camping. I told you I'd have some camping illustrations. I've been away camping. But one of our times camping, um, we've gone a couple times camping. So, one of our times camping, um, I went there ahead of the family. Just to have some time alone to set up the camp. Josie had to work, so I got there before the family did, set up the campsite, spent a whole day alone, which was great, which was wonderful. But towards the end of that time, you know, I was, honestly, I was missing my family. I was looking forward to seeing them. And, uh, and that afternoon, as uh, Josie drove into the campsite, I saw the, the minivan coming full of all the kids. And uh, I still, I was happy to see him. Honestly, I was. But little Sam sticks his head out the window and he says, Daddy, I missed you. It's good to see you. Yeah. That warms the heart of a father to hear a child say that, right? That's how it ought to be. He doesn't always greet me that way. <laughs> and because I'm like Jesus says, an earthly father who's sinful and selfish, I don't always want to see them intruding on my time. But there in that moment, that's the way it should have been. I was thrilled to see him. He was happy to see me. That communion between father and son. This is what 
Jesus invites us into with our Heavenly Father. How much more does the Father delight in His children? In His children coming to Him, our Heavenly Father, so that He can give you and me good gifts. Let's pray. Lord, we are like this disciple who said, teach us to pray. Whether we are new in the faith, whether we have been at this for a very long time, we are all in the school of prayer and we need you to help us to grow in trust in who you are and what you can give us. And so, Lord, as we today think about these things and as we, through the weeks ahead, talk about prayer, we say with this disciple, Lord, teach us to pray for your glory. Amen. Would you please